Oh, good morning, everyone. Um, this is the sermon I was going to preach two weeks ago, um, but I got COVID, and so uh, I had to cancel that, and, uh, and so um, I'm here now. Uh, and uh, yeah, join me in prayer first. Lord God, thank you for calling us um, together as your body. Thank you for the ways in which we can come and worship you. Thank you for calling us, no matter what we have to offer. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds as we, uh, as we struggle with, um, with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, so the title of the sermon is Rescuing the Disenfranchised. Uh, and uh, uh, rescuing the people that had something taken away from them. And that, that, that can be applied to multitudes of people around the world. Uh, there are people everywhere on every continent uh, that have had things taken away from them. Uh, and that's, that's, that's happened throughout time. It's not going to end now. It's going to keep on happening until Jesus comes again because we live in a world where, where greed runs rampant. Yeah, and and we, we, just, we just struggle with that as, as a species. Uh, and and I've, I've been thinking a lot about that uh, with all of the disenfranchisement that's um, happening um, today. Uh, and the impetus for this sermon uh, was uh, was the um, horrific uh, ev um, events on, on October 7th uh, uh, when um, uh, Hamas attacked uh, Israel and then the equally horrific um, events that are occurring now. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it just it just burdens me <laughs> on, on, uh, on how to how to respond to that. Um, so I'm a student of history, and uh, as I thought about that, um, I, I just went, went back and studied and studied and studied. There are a group of letters, um, 328 uh, to be exact, um, uh, that were discovered in uh, a city called Tel El um, Armana, Tel El Amarna, uh, which is uh, in Egypt, uh, and it was in its heyday. Uh, the um, central location of the diplomatic efforts of Egypt. Yeah, so uh, it was uh, you know, the State Department uh, for, for Egypt. Yeah, and so uh, people from all over would write letters, but those letters were on stone tablets, uh, and they're in cuneiform. Uh, and, uh, and some of them are just mundane, um, but some of them um, are, are really, really focused um, on events that I think bear, um, bear witness to what's going on today. So this is from uh, tablet number 286, uh, and this is the message of uh, Abdi Heba, your servant. May the king provide for his land. All the lands of the king, my lord, have deserted. Lost are all the mayors. There is not a mayor re remaining to the king, my lord. The king has no lands. That Habaru has plundered all the lands of the king. If there are archers this year, the lands of the king, my lord, will remain. So uh, this occurred uh, in uh, 12... 
86 B.C. Uh, and uh, very specific dates here. Uh, and these letters cover a period of about 400 years. Uh, so they, there's, there's a whole series of time uh, that goes on here. And uh, you heard the word Habaru. Uh, the Habaru uh, were a group of, uh, of nomads, uh, is the best word to, to use to describe them. And, and the word means people from across the river. Yeah, and when I was at seminary, um, I met a guy named Paul Keim. Yeah, and uh, Paul got his PhD in ancient languages from uh, the University of Michigan, and he specialized in Hittite, yeah, which, uh, which um, I didn't even know that you, you could do that. Um, but Paul and I had long discussions um, about, um, about this word, the Habaru. Yeah. Now, does that sound to you like Hebrew? Um, well, that's because it's like English. Uh, so, um, the Habaru um, were were a group that actually had four different um, uh, clans, so to speak. They were divided into north, south, east, and west. Yeah. And uh, and their original um, uh, place of origin is unknown. Yeah. But they were outside of the uh, of the mainstream of the uh, the the powers that be. Yeah. So at this particular time, um, Ur was the big city. Yeah. Ur uh, is considered the first major city in the world. Yeah. Yeah. At the time that Abram or Abraham lived in Ur, Ur was 1,400 years old. Yeah. This is an old city. It was so big it had suburbs. Yeah. And it's, it's actually being, being rebuilt now in Iraq. Um, it's in southern Iraq. Uh, right near Kuwait, uh, pretty close to the Persian Gulf, uh, and uh, and it existed for almost 3,000 years until the Euphrates changed its course, and then it was deserted. Um, so, from across the river, the Habaru came into the empires that that were in the Fertile Crescent, uh, and uh, and then uh, uh, they they. They wanted to acclimate, but they were not of the people of the clans, and so they were seen as outsiders, as foreigners. They had no rights. Um, uh, they they were not uh, part of the of, of the citizenry uh, of uh, of that 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 place. The Habaru are mentioned in 27 of the Amarna letters. They're all all those letters are complaining about how they're overtaking Canaan. And when people have gone through and looked at this, there is an exact correlation in the chronology of events in, the, in these letters with the conquering of Canaan by the Israelites. Uh, it aligns perfectly uh, uh, in terms of the dates in the Bible and the, uh, the dates uh, that are in these, these letters. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of... of, of um, theological and academic um, discussion about whether or not the Habaru and the Hebrews were the same. And what people have come to the conclusion is this. All Hebrews are Habaru, but not all Habaru are Hebrews. Um, so the Habaru were a large group um, and a subgroup of the Habaru became the Israelites, the Hebrews. Um, now, that word Hebrew, 
uh, is rarely mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, it, it's not used a lot. Uh, so the, the, the people we call the Hebrews, were, you know, they called themselves Israelites. Uh, and so why didn't other countries call them Israelites? Um, well, they've only been Israelites for a couple hundred years, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, uh, and, and they were Habaru for many more years beyond that. Uh, so most likely, the, the people who were in charge of Canaan, uh, when these nomads suddenly, uh, for some reason, became so good at war, they could come and take over Canaan, and, uh, they, they called them by their known name, which was Habaru, um, as opposed to, uh, to Israelites or Hebrews. So this is a, um, a bust of uh, Pharaoh Amenhep II, um, and uh, he is considered to be the Pharaoh that, uh, that was in charge when the Israelites were in captivity, and he lists the Aparu as being among the peoples that were captured. Now, in ancient languages, there's a lot of difficulty in translation, and the the words Habaru, Haparu, and Aparu um, are interchangeable. Yeah, and I won't go into all the linguistics on that, yeah, but I read some really boring papers <laughs> on that. Yeah, and, uh, and just take my word for it. Um, so, yeah, so there's just a lot of evidence that um, these people, the Habaru, um, uh, were, were the people from which um, the Hebrews, the Israelis, um, uh, came out of. Excuse me. They were uh, considered to be nomads. They were stateless. They were wanderers. And they were somewhere in between citizens and slaves. They were, in essence, the Palestinians of their day. Um, uh, they, they had no place that they could call home. No place that they could say, this is where my land is. This is where I belong. So the call of God um, to move from Ur to Canaan was actually heard by Terah first. So when, when we think about uh, the, the move uh, from, uh, from Ur to uh, the move to Canaan, we think about Abraham. And we say Abraham, Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Um, but we forget about Terah. Uh, and Terah um, heard the call uh, and, and said, yeah, um, let's go to Canaan. Um, but he didn't make it. Uh, uh, so he went from, uh, from Ur up to uh, Haran, and, and we'll never know why he stayed there uh, and why it was Abraham who heard that call a hundred years later. Um, so there, there's a hundred years uh, between the time that uh, Terah um, answered the call and said, let's move all of us. Uh, but first went up to Haran. Uh, and that call that came to Abraham, the, the, the call is, the Lord said to Abram, which was his name before, uh, he was blessed, uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Often we forget that last part, that the purpose of God calling people to him, God saying, I want you to be my people. The purpose was to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. That's really an important aspect to remember as we think about this because there's a big but that comes in here. Now, Millard Lind was my professor uh, of Hebrew uh, when I was at seminary, and Sharon and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, he had some great mannerisms, and one of them is that he would say some things, and they, then he would say, but, uh, and then he would go in and he would tell you the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is that God has always worked against the customs and interests of the privileged, the wealthy, and the powerful. Bernard Lynn said that the way to understand how God interfered, not intervened, but interfered with the ways of the world was to come in and change the customs all around. Um, so the custom of, of people at that time was that the eldest would inherit and, and then everyone else would follow the eldest because the eldest was the way to go. Well, see, God just turned that upside down. And so uh, now the turning upside down with Jacob was uh, a little subterfuge there going on. You know, you know the story. Uh, so uh, uh, J Jacob's mother sewed some animal skins on his arms uh, and went in and got the blessing uh, from his father because his father was blind and so had to use his, uh, his hands to say, oh, this is my son. Uh, Esau, who was the eldest, but that didn't happen, um, who became king, not the eldest son, but the youngest son. Um, uh, God turned everything upside down. And the history of God's intervention uh, in, in the Old Testament, as well as, as the New, is turning things around, um, turning things upside down. Uh, one, one of the books that was popular years ago was called The Upside Down Kingdom. Uh, just understanding that the ways of the world are not to be the ways that we will operate in our lives. That uh, that's not the way that we are called to live. So part of that means how do we understand our relationship with those who, uh, who don't have a lot? Uh, who don't belong, uh, who may be the habaru of our day. I have three scriptures up here. And uh, the first is Leviticus 19.34. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 10, 19, very similar. So you also must love outsiders. Remember that you yourselves were outsiders. Numbers 15, 15. 
As for the assembly, there shall be for both you and the resident alien a single statute, a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You and the alien should be alike before the Lord. Now, that's just three of the 17 passages in the Old Testament that all say the alien and the stranger, the sojourner among you, is to be treated as one of you. Um, there is no second class in God's kingdom. Um, you will all be the same before the Lord. 17 different verses all saying those things. Uh, uh, and when I think about how countries, not just Israel, but countries like America, uh, have not taken that to heart. Um, now, we... we we're not a Christian country, even though some may say we are. Um, but we, we say that we want to aspire to that. Um, and I think that's something we really need to remember, that in this kingdom, there is no second class. There are no habaru within the kingdom of God. There are only children of God within the kingdom of God. And, and that's the intention of God from the beginning. That's the way we are supposed to structure our lives. God is today listening to the cries of the hungry, the poor, the strangers, the aliens. Just as God listened um, to the cries of the Habaru 3,500 years ago, God listens to the cries of the Habaru today. Now, I'm thinking today about the Habaru in Gaza. Uh, but there are Habaru all over the world. Uh, there are Habaru, people who are outside the mainstream, people who are outside um, the conventions of the majority within, within that particular society. God called Israel, specifically Israel, to be a blessing to the world. I just pray that that blessing would start now with radical acts of peace and of love. This is a statement from Mennonite Central Committee, um, specifically about Gaza, that says, MCC laments the violence and mourns all lives lost in Palestine and Israel. We continue to advocate for the Canadian, the U.S. government, and the United Nations community to speak out and encourage an immediate ceasefire and safe paths for humanitarian aid and to hold all parties to the same standards of international law. Um, that's not too much to ask. Um, and uh, I, 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 just, I just really struggled with this and, and how we as a community of God, um, respond to this. The predominant worldview of conflict today is to take a side, to polarize every and any situation. You've read on social media all of the accounts of people who've, made, who've said one thing or another and have, have tried to, to, to say uh, something like what the MCC statement says, and there are all kinds of, 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 of reactions to that. Uh, you cannot be for both. You must be for one and against the other. And that's the history of us as a species, isn't it? We don't know how to love. We don't know 
how to how to bring to a conflict situation you know, the love of God. We don't know how to do that. We cannot go back to 1920 or 1929. We can't go back to 1948 or 1967 or 1973. Those are five major dates um, in the 20th century regarding the formation of Israel. We can't go back. Um, all we can do is to move forward from today. Our view as Christians and as Mennonites is to love and to walk with, to forgive, to love. Um, love's there twice on purpose. <laughs> that, that, that has to be the way in which we do our work. Remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Um, how Jacob stole the birthright and then he fled for his life um, and, and then he, he just got rich and rich and rich and then he, he wanted to go back and, and then he sent his family across the river Jabbok uh, and wrestled with God and, and lost uh, and, and he had to go to Esau and Esau was coming for him with 300 men and Jacob was convinced that, that Esau was going to kill him but that's not what happened. When Jacob did finally meet Esau, um, after Jacob wrestled with God, Esau kissed Jacob. He forgave him. Uh, he invited Jacob and all his family to join him in Seir to, to, to live in the land, saying, there is plenty of land for us both, brother. Come and live with me. I want to live with you. This is what I want. I want for us to be together. But Jacob was Jacob, and the name Jacob means liar, cheat, deceiver. He wasn't Israel yet, uh, and Israel means may God persevere. Uh, Jacob lied, uh, and Jacob said, you know, I've got some young young calves, some young lambs, and, and they're going to be slow. They're going to just slow you down, so you go ahead, and I'll catch up to you. And Esau said, no, no, I, I can walk with you. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that to you. You just go ahead. I'll catch up with you. But he lied uh, because he went to Sukkot, yeah, and, and then from there, Israel was formed as a nation state. Yeah. Uh, on a lie, um, an invitation um, from Esau to come and join me, to come and live with me. Uh, and that invitation was not heeded. Um, it's my belief that until Jacob, until Israel um, finds a way um, to live with the descendants of Esau, um, to live as one family, uh, it's my belief that peace will not come. Um, there was a man named Martin Buber uh, who, uh, who was a, a Zionist. Uh, uh, and in 1922, um, he wrote something uh, that, that talked about um, uh, Hebrew humanism. Um, he envisioned one state with two peoples. Um, living together in harmony because we are, after all, brothers. Um, uh, um, that didn't happen. Uh, he was in the minority within the, within the Zionist movement. Um, uh, and uh, he wrote a fantastic book called I and Thou, uh, one of the best books I think you'll ever read. You'll, you'll ever read. I, I would really um, urge you to read that at some point. Um, I don't have the answers. Um, 
but I do have the prayers, and I do have the history, uh, and um, I think that it is incumbent on all of us to, at the very least, pray, um, and then uh, to move as God moves us, um, to act in some way, um, whether it be making a phone call or writing a letter um, or talking with people uh, or... Um, um, yeah, Andy has suggested I publish this sermon, so um, I might go ahead and do that someday. Um, do what you feel called to do. Do what God calls you to do um, as we move forward from here. Amen.